Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 3. This is lesson number 12 of Part 3. And uh, we want to talk about today the cross as a part of our identity with Christ. The work of the cross is after salvation. The work of the cross in us after salvation identifies us as belonging to Christ. Okay, we'll read it. Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, that's pretty, that's pretty specific, isn't it? That's really specific. Because the Holy Ghost is trying to say to us, uh, that if we are Christ's, we are allowing, if we belong to him, that's C-H-R-I-S-T apostrophe S, which as you well know, is the possessive form. They, uh, that, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Now, He continues with that thought, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Those two things are actually talking about the same thing, two different dimensions, the same thing. But let's go back to the first one, they that are Christ. If I truly belong to him, I didn't just start on this journey, but I'm still on this journey, and I, I belong to him, and I want to belong to him. They that are Christ, we are his He's in us, but we are his. It says we've crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. Now, we have some idea what it means to crucify the lusts. That means by the power of God, we are enabled to, to say no. The scripture says if we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, if we're spiritual or walk in the spirit, that means we're just filled with the spirit and governed by the spirit. So we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But what does it mean if crucified the, the flesh with the affections and lust thereof? Uh, the Greek word translated affections there and Almost all places, except this one, just a couple of others at the most, is usually translated sufferings. So, to me, affections and lusts are pretty much the same kind of thing. Now, I, I acknowledge that I could have an affection for something that's good and not wrong and, and have lust for things that are bad. I, I acknowledge that. But both of them are desires. Affection is. But the Greek word is not talking about desire, so to speak. It's talking about sufferings. If you would permit me, let me change that word, and you can verify it for yourself in other translations, and also the Greek if you want to look it up. Uh, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the sufferings and lust thereof. So I'm not just... I'm not just 
allowing the cross to work in my life and the grace of God to bring me to the end of myself so that I am not habitually giving myself to the lust of the flesh. But I'm, I've crucified the flesh with the sufferings thereof. What does that mean? It means that if my flesh is crucified, I quit resisting and resenting the things the Lord allows to come into my life. I'm his. I am Christ. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We're not our own. We belong to him. And if I'm crucified, if I've crucified the flesh through Christ, and I belong to him, then I'm trusting him that whatever things are going on in my life right now, he's in charge. He, he, he knows about it. He gave permission for it. He didn't cause it, but he gave permission for it. And he's got a purpose. And when that purpose is fulfilled, he's going to change it. So I have to, if I'm going to belong to Jesus, I have to quit resisting and resenting the things he allows to come in my life. Now, I'm not saying that the cross and and chastisement is the same thing. It's not the same thing. Now, sometimes the Lord can use the word and the fact that he died for us as a reminder that our wrongs are wrong and correct us with that. But Hebrews 12 says that if we have a father, he is correcting us. We're being chastised. Now, the problem with having shame is that I interpret bad, bad things, bad things that happen to me as being God's punish of me, punishment of me. And maybe, maybe, because there's plenty of biblical evidence to this, that I haven't done anything wrong because I'm not being punished. Lazarus didn't do something wrong. He wasn't being punished by dying. When the word came to Jesus that Lazarus was dying, Jesus delayed because he said, this is not unto death. This is to the glory of God. In other words, this isn't permanent. This isn't going to be the end. He didn't say he wasn't going to die. He said it wasn't permanent. This is for the glory of God. So he waited until a couple of days at least after uh, Lazarus died before he went to the house of Mary, Martha, Mar Mary, Martha and Lazarus. For the glory of God. And he resurrected him from the, from the dead. And we know that the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead was one of the final nails in the coffin, so to speak, that just pro provoked those who wanted him dead to do whatever they had to do to get it, get it done, to make it happen. It was for the glory of God. It was also for the purpose of will of God, to fulfill the will of God. I don't know. He doesn't have to tell me all the reasons behind what happens and what he allows to happen. Now, I will say this to you. Uh, I told you about my wife having cancer, and uh, I will say to you, 
uh, we're sitting there in the infusion center, and she's receiving chemo. We're about two months into the four-month process of it. And as I told you, we were just, the only way we were allowed to pray was, Father, we know you love us, and we know you knew about all this before we did, and you know the out, what the outcome is going to be, and we trust you. We know you love us, and we know, and you, and we know you trust us, and we trust you. We trust you with the outcome of this. Whatever happens, we trust you with the outcome of it. So I'm sitting there. My wife is going through the, the, uh, chemo treatment. And I, I, I say out of the clear blue meaning, I wasn't thinking about it. God just initiated the conversation. He said, you've never asked me why. And I kind of had to think about a little bit what he was talking about. And I got to thinking about it and I thought, you know, that really is right. I didn't realize it. I didn't even realize it. But not one time had I asked him the question, why are you letting this happen to my wife? Not one time. Not one time. And uh, wow, what a feeling that was. Because I, it let me know that he was doing a work in me and that I was really trusting him. And I didn't need him to explain what was going on. And I, the nurse left the room and I said to my wife, I said, let me tell you what the Lord just said to me. She said, okay. I said, he just said to me, you've never asked me why. And I said to her, I, I didn't realize it, but I haven't, I haven't asked for why. We, I trust him. He didn't have to explain it to me. I said to her, have you asked him why? And she sat there a little bit and quietly, and I could tell she was thinking, and she said, no, I haven't. I have not one time. I haven't asked him one time why I was going through this, why I had to go through this. Because... I don't have to know. All I have to know is he's God. I have to know he's my father and he loves me. And I have to know he's in control. And because he loves me, he's always got a plan and a purpose for everything that happens. I don't need any other answer to the question why. This is what the Lord's trying to work in our lives. He's trying to work that in us. Because he wants us to live in the Spirit, and also walk in the Spirit. And we can't live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit if we can't trust Him because I can't see the Spirit. That which I can see is temporal. That which I cannot see is eternal. And if I want to fellowship with that which I can't see, the eternal, I don't, I don't, I need to be able to get to the place where I don't have to have Him explain to me what I am seeing because his eternal purpose is beyond what I can see anyway. Now, a lot of times he'll end up explaining it. And I can't sit here and tell you now that since her surgery in May of 2014, that he has explained to me all of those details. There are a lot of things he did. I don't know what the ultimate purpose was in any of that. All I know is I trust him. And he brought us through. Now, again, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with effect, the affections of the lust thereof. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Well, 
how can that be the case? Because we love him, he loves us. And I've used this verse before, but it's the will of God to use it again now. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. He died for people that were already dead, dead in their trespasses and sins. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. This is... This is the, the, the expression of love he wants us to have for him in our lives. But we can't get ourselves there. I can't get myself there. You can't get yourself there. It has to be a work of the Spirit of God because of the cross of Christ in our lives, being crucified with him. The Amplified says of those verses, For the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and ra- died and was raised again for their sake. How much clearer can it be that he didn't save us to live for ourselves? I said it earlier in previous lessons. He didn't save us to make us a better person. He didn't save us to give us a better life. He saved us, saved us because we belong to him. And if we are going to be saved people, we have to belong to him. Oh, I have Christ in my heart. He belongs to me. Well, he might belong to you, but that's not enough. We got to belong to him. Not everyone, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is heaven, he'll say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, uh, cast, prophesied in thy name, cast out devils in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And he said, then will I say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. What? What? They called him Lord. They knew him. He didn't know them. And the Greek word there for know is to know in an approved relationship. Well, what was the approved relationship? (sighs) Well, you can seek God for his will in ministry. And you can do the will of God in ministry and run the rest of your life yourself. But that doesn't fit with this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 from Weiss, expanded translation of the New Testament. For the love which Christ has for me presses me on, presses on me from all sides, holding me to one end and prohibiting me from considering any other, wrapping itself around me in tenderness, giving me an impelling motive, having brought me to this conclusion, namely that one died on behalf of all, in order that those who are living no longer are living for themselves but for the one who died on their behalf and instead of them and was raised. Um, Now, they use the word for, but King James uses unto. But unto him which died for them and rose again, which I've taken the position that that is not a biblical perspective. I understand what 
the translator's trying to say here, Mr. Weiss, but no. So the contemporary English version, they do the same thing. For we are ruled by Christ's love for us. We are certain that if one person died for all, for everyone else, then all of us have died. And Christ did die for all of us. He died so we would no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died and was raised to life for us. This is exactly what the Holy Ghost is trying to say to us, friend. It's exactly what the Holy Ghost is trying to say to us. And we need to hear this. We need to hear this. He did not die for us so we'd have a better life. He did not die for us to make us better people. Oh, that's the outcome. But it's all according to your definition. Better how? Better in his eyes. He came to make us better people in his eyes, whether in anybody else's eyes or not. And he came to give us a better life from his definition of a better life, not from ours. Philippians 3, 7, we read this already, but here we are again. It's the will of God. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless that I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. This is that first one, all things that were gained to me, that's that's the, the, the the cross working and salvation of my life. But, yea, doubtless I count, present tense, all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. That's what he wants to do in us on a day-to-day basis. Why? So we can be found where? Not found by him, but found in him. Now, can we abide in him and him abide in us? If who and what we are and what we think and what our motives are, what our goals are, what our purposes are, are contrary to him? If if he says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? How, if that can't work, how can it work where I'm supposed to be in him and he's supposed to be in me and we're not agreed? How can he stay in that situation? Well, in his love and mercy, he works on that a while. But there comes a point where we convince him. Don't bother. I'm not changing I got you. You can't leave. That's, what, that's the opinion some's got. Some has. I'm I, I'm saved, and there's nothing I can do to backslide. Nothing. Nothing. What? Really? Really? Jesus picked Judas personally. Personally, and yet he turned out to be a devil. Well, he was really never a follower. Blah. Really. Not according to Jesus. Jesus prayed in John 17. I've lost none that you gave me, 
save or accept the son of perdition. Now, all those hundreds and thousands of people that he performed miracles for, they were blessed by the miracles, whether it was healing or they were some of the ones that ate on two occasions in either one or both the situations of multiplied bread and multiplied fish. Where were all of them? Well, he ministered to them, but their salvation's on their own head because they didn't follow him. But Jesus said, I have not lost any that you gave me except. That terminology lets you know that God gave Judas to, to the Christ. And the only reason he lost him was because he was a son of perdition. He was not a follower. He was not submitted. I don't know anybody that knows all the motives of Judas in betraying Christ. I'm sure he had quite a few. Don't forget, he was there when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, how do you go from that to betraying him? How do you do that? I don't know. I know the focus is at the what we call the Last Supper. Uh, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, and he was sitting at the table fellowshipping with him. And the scripture says, Jesus looked at him and said, whoever it is that dips a sop with me, and that it would dip a piece of bread or something down in a sauce together and eat it like that. And he said, whoever dips a sop with me. And Judas did that. And he looked at Judas, and apparently the others didn't know what was going on. He said, whatever you're going to do, do quickly. And it was at that point that Satan entered into his heart. And he went out and sought them out, so the, 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 the Jewish council out, so he could betray Jesus. Well, what does that mean? That means that whatever he was struggling with, it was just humanity up to that point. And it wasn't enough for him to walk away. He was there. It was at that point that Judas entered into his heart. So Paul said, I've lost everything, and now I realize I lost it for Christ, and everything I'm afraid I could lose, things that may go the way I don't want them to, I give all that to Christ and do count it but dung just so I can win and have the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, that I might be found in him not with my own righteousness but the righteousness which is of the law. That not my own righteousness, which is righteousness of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection and fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. So Paul goes from that, and I will read here. I've quoted these verses off and on a little bit, parts of them, whatever, but I really feel like I want to close this lesson talking about these verses. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 specifically. If ye then be risen with Christ. What's he talking about? He's not talking about, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live yet. No. That's not what he's talking about. 
I'm going through the death, burial, and resurrection. I died with Christ through repentance. I was buried with Christ by baptism unto his death, and I was resurrected by, with Christ by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So he's seeking with us. He's speaking to those. Paul is speaking to those who have obeyed the apostolic message. One preached on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. And he's saying to them, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth right now on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, why would he say be saying this to people who were already living it? They've been re- resurrected by Christ, spiritually resurrected by Christ. They have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Why is he saying this to people who are already doing it? Because they had the Holy Ghost. They were a part of the body. They're part of the church. This book is written to the church, the church at Coloss. So he said, if ye then be risen with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Apparently, they weren't doing that. They needed this instruction. They needed this correction. And then he goes farther. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. I don't know what it was that they were longing for, but the word affection there speaks of longing and desire. Don't have things on this earth that you're longing and desiring for. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't want anything he's not giving. And I want to receive anything he is giving. What he initiates in taking, I want him to take. What he initiates in giving, I want him to give. And if I've got something working in me that's got my eye on something, I want to know if he's giving it, because if he's not giving it, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want anything that he's not adding to me. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that whatever is added to my life, he's doing the adding. And it all is, is all just additions then. It's not a big deal. It's just an addition. I want his additions. Because if he's giving it, I don't want to say, no, that's okay, Lord. No, my wife is a wonderful cook. I, her, her food is my favorite food in the whole world. There is no restaurant anywhere cook, where food is cooked by any chef, I don't care what their name is, that I prefer over my wife's cooking. But you know what? There are some times that... Her food's so good and I've eaten enough of it that she says, you do, you want more of this? No, no, that's enough. No. If my God is offering, I want it. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be desiring or longing for something that he's not giving because I don't want that to open up my spirit to him. So I, I, I want, I want to be dead to that. I want to give that to him. I want it to be his decision, not mine. So that's why I cast my cares. Because if I got some longing or desire in here, I'm going to cast that on him. I give that to you. If you want to do this, fine. If you don't take it, I don't want it. 
He said, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And here is the methodology for accomplishing this. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God coming on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. Now, he has drawn a line in your life, Paul says. And you're now risen with Christ. You're not, you're not a part of this world. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And they live according to uh, the wrath of God and according to the, the to disobedience. They live according to the things their flesh wants to do on the earth. But you're not like that. You were resurrected. So don't live like them. Live like the life that, that Christ has modeled for us and that Paul is following and tells us to follow him as he's following that so that my motives and attitude and spirit are pure in God. Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. It is so important for us to understand that we are called to have a right attitude, an attitude pleasing to God about the things that he allows to happen in our lives. In part four of this series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, we're going to talk a whole lot more about that. We've got one more lesson in part three. And then in part four, we're going to talk about a lot of, a lot about that because it's very, very critical for you and I to let the Lord give us faith and trust in him so that we have the right attitude for the things he's allowed to happen in our lives. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I, by the grace of God, would be able to be pleasing to God through allowing Christ to live through us with his attitude, his motive, his spirit, his character, his burden, his passion. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let it be so. Amen. God bless you.